0: Will you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are the giver of all good things. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you for giving us the means of grace to know you. We thank you for the promise of the eternal life to come And Father, we ask that you will meet us in this moment as we reflect on your word. We ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see the treasures of the risen Christ. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means everything to our faith. Without it, our faith and our hope is in vain. The resurrection of Jesus gives us confidence, confidence in who he says he is, confidence in the restoring power of God, confidence in the eternal life to come, confidence that we too will one day receive a resurrected and glorified body. And this isn't just merely human opinion. This is a biblical reality, as we heard in the first Peter passage today, he, Jesus, was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So here we are in Eastertide, and Eastertide is all about resurrection. On the first son- Sunday of Easter, we heard about Jesus's own resurrection. But last Sunday and today, we heard how Jesus revealed himself as the risen Christ. Last Sunday we heard that he did this through his bodily presence. His disciples could see and tangibly touch him. And today or and after that he made this statement, "Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed." And we of course are part of those who have not seen and yet have believed. But faith in the unseen is sometimes challenging. Sometimes we have our doubts. Well, I think our Lord offers us great comfort in the Word today. As I prepared for this sermon, I couldn't help but notice how the Word and even the sacrament of Holy Communion are woven throughout the readings. In the Gospel passage, Jesus used these means to reveal himself to the two disciples on the way to Emmaus. And in the Acts passage today, we see the very first church using these means to know and worship the risen Christ. And I'm convinced that God has given us these means of grace to assure us in the most challenging times and to strengthen our faith as we entrust our lives to the risen Christ and wait to see him face to face. So we're going to dive into the word. If you have your Bible, we're going to begin in Luke chapter 24 verses 13 through 35. Again, that's Luke chapter 24 verses 13 through 35. So we see this scene take place on the very day that Jesus was resurrected, and he drew near to these two traveling disciples on their way to Emmaus. And in verse 16, this strange statement is made. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. It was Jesus keeping them from recognizing him. This was not the first time that God had kept people from seeing or understanding certain spiritual matters. We see this throughout the Gospels. But of course, there's always a perfect and good reason that God does this. And as strange as it is, I'm convinced the reason why he was doing this was so that he could address the root problem of their doubt. The doubt which bubbled up as they explained how they thought that this man, Jesus, was the Messiah. But instead, he was treated as a criminal and crucified. It wasn't in their framework that the Messiah had to suffer and die, yet alone that the Messiah would undergo some kind of resurrection. Even with the women's account of finding the tomb empty and the angels confirming to them that Jesus had risen, they still didn't believe. They thought it was an idle tale. Jesus could clearly see their sadness, disappointment, and doubt as they talked about what happened throughout the past three days. And it's interesting how last Sunday we saw and we heard about Doubting Thomas And today, we hear about these two doubting disciples. And oh, how we can relate. There are many times when we too doubt God. It's easy to fall into doubt when our society says that truth is only observable or measurable or tangible, or that we should be suspicious of any absolute truth claims, or when we have theologians or or Christian leaders who flat out deny the resurrection of Christ. Or when life just simply pushes us past our limit, and we don't know how to make sense of life or sense of God. This world has a way of shaking us and shaking our faith. But Jesus pointed these disciples, and he points us back to the written word, which points all back to him. In verse 25, he said to the disciples, O foolish ones, and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And after he said this, he began to interpret to them all the scriptures that pointed to his death and resurrection. Jesus, the one known as the Word, was interpreting the written Word. This was essentially the best Bible study in history. Now this passage doesn't say which scriptures Jesus interpreted, but there are many that we might take a guess at, such as how the book of Jonah points to Jesus' death and resurrection. Like when Jesus said in Matthew 12, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Or how Jesus' rejection is prophesied in Isaiah 53 when it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Or how Isaiah 53 also points to Jesus' death and atonement when Isaiah writes, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Or how the hands and feet of Jesus being pierced is prophesied in Psalm 22 when it says, For dogs encompass me, a company of evil doers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Or how we heard last week that Jesus' resurrection is prophesied in Psalm 16 when it says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. The list could go on and on. But I think Jesus' point in doing this was not only to correct their understanding of the Messiah, but to prepare them to realize that faith depends not on sight, but on the deep trust of what God has said in the Word, and that it is true. And that what Jesus said about himself was true. And that he, as their Messiah, the risen Christ, had not failed them. However, after Jesus had interpreted the scriptures, they still didn't quite recognize him. Not yet. Jesus had one other means of grace in mind to offer them. Beginning in verse 28, Jesus is acting as if he was going to keep traveling on, but the disciples urge him to stay with them overnight. And during this time, it was customary for the host to offer fresh bread to their guests. And as Jesus enters their home, he flips things around. Jesus, the guest, becomes the host. It's like when we invite, or when the bishop comes to town and he steps foot in this building, he's in charge. Though we treat him as a guest, he is the one who we assume to preach and to celebrate at Holy Communion unless he says otherwise. So when Jesus enters their home, he assumed his rightful place as Lord. And you could say that for us who invite Jesus into our own lives, he assumes his role as Lord within our lives. Our lives are no longer our own, but we owe everything to him. Everything we are becomes obedient to our risen Lord. So in verse 30, he begins to take bread. He breaks it and blesses it and gives it to the disciples. Immediately, we're reminded of the Last Supper between Jesus and the 12 disciples back in chapter 22, when Jesus first instituted the sacrament of Holy Communion. But it's at this moment that Jesus finally opens the disciples' eyes. They recognize him. They see that the Lord is in their house, ministering to them through the breaking of the bread. And then he vanishes. And in the abrupt silence, the disciples look at each other and say, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they quickly rushed back to Jerusalem to proclaim to the eleven disciples that the Lord is risen indeed. It was the word and the table that helped the disciples in their doubts. It was through these means that Jesus illuminated illuminated their eyes to finally recognize him. But later on in time comes Jesus' ascension. And he passes the torch, so to speak, to the church and sends the Holy Spirit to be with the church. And so now we come to Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 47. Through Peter's preaching, the Spirit was doing exactly what Jesus said he would do, to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And by the power of the Spirit, the Word was doing what it was intended to do, as Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 puts it, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Peter's sermon was full of the resurrection truth and power. And in verse 36, he ends his sermon by saying, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Well, this just wrecked Peter's audience. Verse 37 says they were cut to the heart. The word pierced through their hearts of stone and opened their hearts to God's grace, despite their sinfulness and his love being poured out upon them. And as they surrendered their lives to Jesus, we see the church begin to grow. And we see their worship was centered around the word and table, similar to how we do today. As verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. The apostles' teaching was largely about showing how the scriptures point to Christ and preaching the good news of the gospel It was precisely what Peter refers to in the first Peter reading today when he says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached You. And then there was the breaking of the bread, which is referring to what we know as Holy Communion. Just like the two disciples in the Gospel reading today, the church in Acts encountered the risen Christ through Holy Communion. And we too get the opportunity to encounter the risen Christ every Sunday at the table. Though he is bodily absent, he is spiritually present and he meets us in the bread and the wine. It's not only a time for us to remember his death and resurrection, but it's a time for us to receive from him. When we partake, we receive strength for our souls. We receive the comfort of God's forgiveness. We receive confidence in the eternal life to come. And we receive a renewed sense of unity and love within the body of Christ. My friends, the means of grace through the Word and the table are ways in which we can do what Rick spoke about last Sunday, practicing resurrection, allowing both the Word and the table to feed our souls with the hope of the resurrection, to give us sustenance as we journey this life. And this is not just an Eastertide practice. This is a lifelong practice. And my hope is that you will walk away from this sermon with a strengthened confidence in the trustworthiness of Scripture, that this gift of revelation to us will be for you a lifeline to the risen Christ, a source of confidence in him even when you cannot physically see him, at least not yet. And also, here in a few moments, we're going to come to the table together. Remember that in the gospel reading today, when the disciples reached their destination, Jesus acted as if he was going to keep going on. But the disciples urged him to stay with them. They were intentional about remaining with him. And if they let him walk on, they would have missed the chance to receive bread from the bread of life himself. So I encourage you, as you come to partake of the body and blood of Christ, don't rush through it. Don't worry about holding people up. Don't just go through the motions, but rather come eager for a fresh encounter with our risen Christ. Come ready to abide with him and to receive the many blessings and benefits that he has for you today. Amen.